Chablay, for those of you who do not know, I get to serve as the next-gen pastor here at Lone Star Cowboy Church, and it's an honor and a privilege every week to work with everybody from the newborn babies up through our young adults. Um, When Pastor Randy asked me um, to speak today, I started thinking and praying about what I wanted to share, and for those of you who have heard me before, I've talked to you a little bit about my childhood. I grew up in a very, very, very... Um, charismatic, but very legalistic type church where hell was preached about a lot. And I got saved every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and every revival, which was all the time. We had revivals all the time. And I remember growing up, Different people, different preachers just talking about, like, if you leave, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. And I thought, well, I okay, well, I'll do this again. And, and, and if, I'm being, if I'm being honest, there were times that I got in trouble at church. So I thought if my parents saw me at the altar, they might be like, we don't have to spank her when she gets home. And so I went to the altar all the time. And I had, I, had, I had wonderful Sunday school teachers that would tell me that I was going to hell, which was really encouraging. Um, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that we don't have those kind of people working with our kids here. But growing up and moving into middle school, middle school is such a weird transition anyway. Um, there was a lady that worked with us named Miss Kim, okay? Um, let me tell you a little bit about Miss Kim. And you could say, well, I can't believe you're talking bad about her. And I'm just telling you about her. You can take whatever you want from this, okay? Miss Kim was super, super, super charismatic. Very, very, very emotional. So, I mean, she didn't just go to the altar, she ran to the altar, which I, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's awesome. There's times in all of our lives that we need to run to the altar. But she would run to the altar and then cuss her kids out in the parking lot after church. I was like, I think you got that backwards, Miss Kim. But she she was a leader for our middle school girls. It was awful. And she would, she would say mean things to us. And she went to camp with us my first youth camp. And she set us all down and told us that every boy at camp was there to destroy our lives. And they were sent by the enemy. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, and she would say all this stuff. And one time she told me, she looked at me, she said, Amber, you're going to hell. And I said, well, you're not the first person that's told me that. So, <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks, Miss Kim. And she was, I watched her and then it came to a place where our church wasn't enough for her. She would walk up on the stage while um, our senior pastor was preaching and she would take the mic from him. Can y'all imagine somebody doing that to Pastor Randy? Can you imagine these police officers letting that happen? Like she'd go up there and she'd say, I have a word. And she'd snatch that out of his hand. And she would say something that I'm going to tell you right now was not from God. And she would say these random things that her kids would be sliding under their seats. And of course, we're all like, y'all think it's crazy. We see this every day with her. Like we always see this. And so she was all over the place with her emotion. And I think about, like, it's super easy to look at somebody like Miss Kim and go, wow, that's crazy. Wow, that's weird that she goes on these highs with God and then these lows and then these highs and lows. But if we're all honest, maybe not to that degree, we do too. How many times do we get to a place where we're in the presence of God? I mean, we're, we're in the word and we're, we're praying for our missionaries and we're doing what God's asking us to do. And then something bad happens. And we're, oh, I can't believe. And then we, we get, we throw a fit. And I, I was thinking about my favorite verse 
is found in a story about this. I had a student call me yesterday. I wasn't even going to tell this story, but I have to tell it because it's so funny. Um, I had a student call me yesterday. She's like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I told her, I said, well, I'm, I'm preparing my message. And she said, well, what's it about? I said, well, I'm going to preach about my favorite verse. And it just went dead silent. And I thought, did I lose her? Whatever. She goes, how, how are you going to do that, PA? Like, you can't preach that. And I realized what she thought I was talking about. I joke about this verse saying it's my favorite verse because, I'll tell you the backstory. We were, um, we were on staff at a church in Arkansas. And there was a, a couple that led our family ministry. And they came in before staff started. The executive team was still meeting. And she said, we're going we're gonna to be going around and everybody's going to share their life verse. And I said, okay. She goes, do you have a life verse? And I said, nope, I don't. And she goes, well, you need to find one, Amber. And I said, I don't know what a life verse is. And she said, a life verse is the verse that inspires your life. And I don't know, she said a bunch of stuff. And I told her, I said, if I'm honest, I'm just now at a season in my life where I'm growing in love with the word. And every time I read it, everything that's dysfunctional in my life, there's something about that word that changes my life. So I would say the whole word is alive. I like it all. And she said, oh, you're so spiritual. I'm going to tell you something funny. No one had ever said that to me, that I was so spiritual. No one. So I didn't know if that was like a compliment. I didn't know what to do with that. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm here for it. And no one has said it since too, by the way. So, um... I was like, I don't know. And so I look over at my friend Adam, who's also a pastor on staff. And I was like, Adam, do you have a life verse? He's like, no, we got to find one right now. And so I was like, I know, because they're going to get all together and they're going to call on us. And they think that we're not serious and we've got to be serious. And so then I remembered this verse that I had found. We were at a um, church in Honduras and I was reading in my Bible, trying to keep up with what they were saying. And I, I happened across this verse that had nothing to do with the sermon. And I showed Adam and he laughed. He goes, I dare you. I dare you to stand up when it's your turn and go, this is my life verse. And so I was like, you're on. <laughs> and I stood up when they were like, and Amber, and she looked at me like, you failure. I'm like, oh, sis, I've got it. I'm coming with it. And I stood up and I shared the verse and half the people laughed. Half the people were confused. Adam's cracking up. She was angry. She never asked me to share a verse again. And since then, I have joked with students about that being my life verse. And so she thought that's what I was talking about. Do, do y'all want to know what the verse is? <laughs> Good, I'm glad. And if you don't think it's funny, that's okay, because I do. And I will laugh by myself. Um, 2 Chronicles 14, 14. Now, if you go look this up, this is, you have to have like an old NIV. It's not going to be on Bible Gateway because they've updated it because there's people like me out there. Um, but it says, they destroyed all the villages around Gerar for the terror of the Lord had fallen. They plundered these villages because there was much booty there. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. And so I'm like, I'm standing there, you know, and I'm like feeling it. And people are like, yeah, they plundered these villages. And then I said that and they're all like, she's worthless. What are we doing here? <laughs> and so I tell students all the time, that's my favorite verse. And this poor little girl yesterday thought that I was going to preach to you guys about 2 Chronicles 14, 14. I'm not. Actually, my favorite real verse is found in Micah uh, chapter 6, verse 8. So let, I want to look at Micah 6, 1 through 8 with you today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Let's start with verse 1. It says, listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. 
Let the mountains and hills be called witnesses to your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against the people. He will bring charges against Israel. So what we got right here is the stage is being set. Court is in session. God has called a family meeting. Now, I want you to understand, he's not talking to people who don't know him. He's talking to his children. You have to understand that when, as his children, if you've given your heart to Jesus, we have a responsibility that's a little different than the rest of the world when we read the word. There's a responsibility that God's like, look, we're going to talk. I don't know what your life was like growing up, but I know that when a family meeting was called at my house, it was never fun. Okay? And so God's calling a family meeting. He's like, hey, look, the mountains are going to be the witnesses. Here's what's going to happen. Let's do this. And so then God steps up and he states his case. Starting in verse 3, he says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and I redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed? And how Balaam, son of Boar, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal? When I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. I want you to understand, God could not be persuaded to curse his people. But the choices they made brought curses upon themselves. Guys, that doesn't change with us. God's not looking. Like, I grew up believing that God had these lightning bolts. He was looking at every opportunity to keep me out of heaven because everybody that was representing him in my life at the church was telling me I was going to hell. So I thought that's what he was doing. He's not looking to, he's not looking to dismiss you. He's not looking to throw you away. He's not looking to let go of you. But we make choices that are our choices, and that's what gets us in trouble. And sometimes, I'm going to just say this, we blame the devil, and sometimes it's not the devil's fault, it's ours. Okay? Well, the devil made me do it. Honey, the devil didn't make you do anything. Just like God didn't make you do it. You get to make these choices yourself. I get to make these choices myself. And so he says, do you remember these things? Do you not remember what I've done? Do you not remember where I've set you free? Do you not remember where I've moved? And so then the people respond in verses 6 and 7. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? So they start acting like a bunch of kids, like little spoiled brats. They deflect. They don't take responsibility. They act as if God's demands are too great. They're throwing a fit. Bruce Waltke said this. He said about this particular passage. He said, blinded to God's goodness and character. He reasons within his own depraved frame of reference. He need not change. God must change. His willingness to raise the price does not reflect his generosity, but veils a complaint that God demands too much. So they're like, how could you do this? What do you want from us? Do you want everything? You want us to kill our kids? What do you want from us? Nothing's good enough for you. And I know as a parent, 
I, my kids have acted that way before. If you've had kids and they've missed a nap, they've acted that way before. They're like, what do you want from me? And you're like, I just want you to go in there and sleep for the rest of the day. You act like your father. No, I'm just kidding. Like, go. I'm just kidding. What do you want from me? And so here's what I think is so amazing. God responds. But what I want you to notice here, and this is something that I've been studying a lot here recently, is the posture of God. I want you to notice this posture. I don't know about you, but my kids, this is not my proudest parent moment, but when they get in my face and tell me I don't get it, I'm like, Phil, hold these earrings. I'm about to take care of some business. <laughs> I don't get it. Sit down. Let me tell you what I don't get, right? Like there's, there's, you bow up at me, I'm going to bow up back. And that's not my proudest moment. Like nobody's offering me mom of the year. So like, I'm okay with that. But the reality is God doesn't do that with us. Like, I think it's so important that we recognize that his people are coming at him with disrespect and he doesn't bow up. Notice his posture. In verse eight, he says, no, oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what's right, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He's not screaming. He's not angry. He's basically saying, snap out of it. Wake up. Do you see what I've done? Do you see what I'm capable of? Do you see, despite you, I've not gone anywhere Understand, y'all, despite us, God doesn't turn his back. And if you're honest with yourself, and if I'm honest with myself, we have given him plenty of reasons to do so. And yet he doesn't. And so I want to look at a little bit. I want to break that verse down, uh, verse 8 for you. The first thing he says is do what is right. Do what's right. Some translations say do justice. So to do justice or to do what's right, that's an action. That is an action. You don't just think about it. Like how many of us, well, it was, we have good intentions. I planned on doing something. I mean, my heart was right. Y'all, we got to stop making that excuse. We got to stop making the excuse that we were going to do it. When we don't do it, then we didn't do it. So it doesn't matter. I was going to, well, I, I, no, it's an action. Do right. Do justice. It isn't simply knowing the difference between right and wrong. It means living out your life in a way, always moving forward to what is just. Understand, in that forward motion, and we can all attest to this, sometimes we get off course. Sometimes we have a bad day. Sometimes our temper gets the best of us. Sometimes we lose our cool. But we get up and keep moving forward. We don't have to go back to the front and start over. Somebody probably needs to know that. I think sometimes we live this life that we think that as soon as we mess up, God's done and we have to start over. No, get up and say, God, I'm sorry, and keep moving forward. You don't have to get saved every time you sin. You just have to repent. Once you've gotten saved and you've given your heart to Christ, and you make a mistake next week, ask him to forgive you. Now, if you haven't walked with him for years, or if you've, you've really walked away and you want to rededicate your life, that's great. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to get saved every time you do something wrong. You don't get remarried every time you tick your husband off. <laughs> Hello. Or vice versa. 
You get it right. You say, I'm sorry. And if you haven't learned that in marriage, there's a chance that your marriage probably isn't going to last very long. You, uh, what you do with friendships, you own it. I blew it. I'm sorry. When you get off course, you get up and you move forward. Justice, what is right? Do what's right. Do. You're going forward. It's constantly looking to what is just, to what is right, to who is just, to who is right. We know when it's right. Like, no heroin addict is like, man, nobody told me that was bad. Like, <laughs> I wish somebody would tell me. We know what's right and wrong. But how often do we justify our actions or our reactions to or because of someone else? Well, so we create a narrative of justification because they dot, dot, dot. My dad left my family. My friends have abandoned me. I lost my job. We can come up, y'all, we can sit here all day, bring in some fresh watermelon and just talk all day about all the things that don't go right in our lives. And we can walk out of here as miserable cows because we've all got stuff that doesn't go right. Are you hearing me? And I know in the moment when it's not going right with you, you think it's just you. It's not just you. It's the rest of the world. But you know what's right. Do it. Despite what other people do. Despite how other people respond. Despite if they deserve you doing right or not. Where do we get off as followers of Jesus thinking we have the right to decide if people deserve his reflection in our life or not? Like, where does that come from? Well, if you knew her like I knew her, but you know what? Jesus knows her and he has something for her and he's wanting to use you to be his hands and feet. Get over yourself. Do what's right. Do justice. <laughs> Doing what is right is only complicated when we justify ourselves rather than pointing everything back to Jesus. The beauty of it, one thing that we all have in common, without Jesus, we are a mess. Without Jesus, we're broken. Without Jesus, we fail. I don't care how beautiful your truck is in that parking lot, and if you own half of Texas, and you won some prize when you were in high school for football, I'm telling you right now, without Jesus, you're a mess. But with Jesus, we are more than conquerors. With Jesus, we are the head and not the tail. With Jesus, we are overcomers. With Jesus, we are called and appointed for such a time as this. Do right. Do right. Number two, it says love mercy. I love this. Love mercy. Love is also an action. It's a relentless pursuit. Love is not a feeling. I tell middle school kids all the time, that's not love, that's gas, baby. It'll pass. <laughs> it will pass. You don't know, I, I love him. What's his name? I, I don't know. <laughs> tell me how that works out for you. We won't ever let Pastor Jason and Kendra share their testimony of how they met in our student ministry because they met in middle school. I'm like, nah. You're not giving these kids false hope that this, there's my husband. Who, the one picking his nose? That one? Lord. Love mercy. 
It's a relentless pursuit. And then what is, what is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is within one's power to punish or harm. Like you watching the news about somebody that did something you don't know, that, you're not showing them mercy. You're sitting on your couch. Mercy is shown with somebody that you're directly involved with. See, we think we show so much mercy because we're Facebook warriors. We show so much mercy because it's like, well, I know how I voted. God bless America. Like we think, right? But the reality is mercy, it's not, it's people that you're directly involved with. It's people that they get under your skin. It's, you say, well, I show mercy to these. No, mercy is shown to the people that you struggle with. Okay, go back to your kids. Be honest. You don't have to raise your hand like there's no judgment here. There's been a time, that cute little baby that you, there's time you want to snap their head. I'm going to pop that bow right off the top of your head. If you're watching online and you want to report me, my kids are grown. Go for it. (laughs) And they lived. Hello. Like we've all been there. We have those moments, but that's when we're like, ooh, I have every, ooh, mmm, ooh. And it's not just physical, y'all. Sometimes it's this. This is my biggest weapon. I may not be able to beat you up, and I sure can't outrun you. But I can shred you with my words. I can make you cry for your mama. Show mercy. Mercy is for the people that we have the power to punish or harm. Think about that for a second. Loving mercy is a relentless pursuit to show compassion to someone who doesn't deserve it. You're relentlessly pursuing the opportunity to forgive. Think about that. Nobody, I want to tell you, I don't think there are anybody I know, they wake up in the morning and they're like, somebody's going to tick me off today, but I cannot wait to forgive them. <laughs> I don't know anybody who thinks like that, but the Bible says that's how we're supposed to process. We've got to set ourselves up in the morning. You know what, God? I give you today. Today belongs to you, but there's a good chance because the enemy is alive and active. Somebody's going to try to get And take my joy. Somebody's going to try to get in the way of what you're doing. Somebody is going to hurt my feelings. Somebody's going to reject me. Somebody's going to throw me away. Somebody's going to take credit for my hard work. Somebody, 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 somebody. But you, God, you already know that. You already see that. You already know those things are happening. You know me too. You know I got a little gangster in me, Jesus. So I need you to help me to represent you and to love mercy. I'm not talking about waking up and looking for a bad moment. It's waking up looking for a bad moment to turn around for the goodness of God. What if we lived our life that way? What if we lived our life that nothing that came at us, we were so prepared to represent Jesus. There's nothing you say, there's nothing that you do that's going to phase me, that's going to keep me from being who he's called me to be. And hopefully that'll rub off on you too. Hopefully my attitude to who you are will cause you to stop and question. There's something different about that person. There's something different about her. There's something different about him. But you know what? Isn't that what we talk about? Oh, we should do this. That's what Jesus did for us. He relentlessly pursued us. 
Aren't you glad that your past isn't on a big screen above your head? I'm just thankful they didn't have social media when I was a kid because I'd still be grounded. But aren't you glad that your thoughts, some of y'all, you need to work on your face because it's all over your face. Oh, we know what you're thinking. (laughs) But aren't you glad it's not written above your head? The reality is, we, it, this is a work. This isn't something you just say, oh, I'm deciding that. Now you've got to put the work in. Scripture's full of verses on faith. This is a verse on action. This is a verse on, okay, as a child of God, you have a responsibility. You have to have skin in the game. Love mercy. Please hear me, though. I want you to hear this. This does not mean you become a doormat. This doesn't mean that, oh, I love mercy. I'm choosing to show mercy that you allow people to walk all over you and use you and treat you bad. Jesus didn't do that. It's okay to set healthy boundaries. Please do so. But you know what? You can forgive people you're not best friends with. You can forgive people who never apologize. My dad abandoned me when I was a little girl. Baby, let it go. Because God has something for you. It hurts. I know it does. But you know what? You holding on to it is hurting you. Believe it or not, the breather of stars, the creator of the universe, can heal that broken heart. And it helps us as we see what he's done in our lives to love mercy for others. What about the business world? So we're like, girl, you don't know about the business world. Don't touch that. Well, I believe in every area of our lives, our relationship with Christ should be evident. Not just here at church. Well, Sunday, put on your church clothes and church face and your church attitude. But Monday, they're going to see a whole different side of me. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to get in the middle of what you do, but I'll tell you this. That's your ministry. If you're a businessman or a businesswoman, that's your mission field. And if people are shocked when they find out you're a Christian, man, shame on you. That doesn't mean you let people walk all over you and take advantage of your company, but you show Jesus, you're honest, you walk with integrity. You don't even have to say you're a Christian for it to be apparent in the way you live your lives. What about in the church? Chances are, if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. Somebody in a church somewhere, maybe here, is going to upset you. They're going to let you down. You're going to have a preacher that tells you something that didn't hurt your feelings. You're going to have somebody forgot to call you on your birthday. Or didn't bring a casserole when your dog died. Or whatever it is that you think that you need to have happen. And you know, take it even further. There are people that are not at church today, at any church, because the church has hurt them. The church handled them very poorly. I'm not taking light. I'm not making that light. And the reality is, I think we put too much focus on the establishment and not as much on who, that we're the church. This building can burn down tomorrow. And guess what? If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, the church is going to keep going. I mean, think about that. You're like, does that mean I have to open my house? I'm going to let you work that out with Jesus. Some of these men are elbowing their wives like, told you, no. What about your family? Think about that for a second. 
Parents, just because you say it, your kids are watching you. Are you, disres- are you disrespecting their mom? Are you disrespecting their dad? Well, we're not married anymore. Even more the reason? Are you loving your kids? Are you apologizing when you get it wrong? Because you do get it wrong. No, I don't. There, yeah, yeah, you do. We all do. Are you owning your stuff? What about with family that it's hard? I, I have, we have some situations going on in my family right now. And I'm watching Christians who have been Christians my whole life act very unchristlike. And I would love to tell them what I think. But God's called me to love mercy. It isn't as simple as you see. It's not just about being a kind person. It means that kindness motivates you to act. It means that it's a conscious effort of movement and progression. Then third, walk humbly with your God. Humbly is it's the modest submissiveness with humility. This is living from the posture that doesn't just to have an inward impact, but also an outward one. Walk humbly with your God. The word with, I think we dismiss that a lot. Y'all understand this. It means with, the, the dictionary says, on the side of, noting friendship or favor. Walk humbly with your God. Not walk humbly to your God. Not walk humbly looking for God. Walk humbly with your God. What does that mean? He wants to be part. Y'all, he's not waiting for you to get it together. He's not waiting for you to have it all figured out. He's not waiting for you to fix you. He says, I'm present with the way he talked to the people. Remember, do you not remember what I've done? Walk humbly with your God in relationship. God is a relational God. I didn't learn that until I was an adult. I didn't know that he cared about me. I didn't know that he wanted to have a relationship with me. And I think part of the problem we have there, and this is just a little side note, excuse my soapbox, but our problem in the Western world, in North America, we save people to heaven so they don't go to hell. We never save them to Jesus. I should say we never, we struggle with that. Well, do you want to die and go to hell? No. Well, you better get saved. Heaven is a byproduct. It's awesome. We get that. But man, we get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe right now. That means everything we go through right now, he's with us. The good, the bad, the ugly, he's with us. He's present. He cares about what we care about. He's there when we're broken. He's there when we're excited. He's there when we're alone. He's there when we're scared. He's with us. We're not meant to do life alone, but I'm going to tell you something. Even in your loneliest moments, Jesus is with you. And then, what is it? Humility. Going back to that. It means living a life submitted to God and allowing him to guide your path in posture of modesty and humility. To walk humbly with your God is loving him and with all your heart, soul, and strength. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The reality is, y'all, every single one of us, we can, we can make a determination. You know what? I'm, I'm going to do those three things. I'm, I'm going I'm to work on that. 
but it can't just be a good thought. It's a heart change. Well, how do I change my heart? Well, you start with putting truth in your brain. And you put that truth in your brain all the time until your head starts to convince your heart and then your heart takes it on and believes it. My sweet friend, Pam, um, she works here at the church. You've probably seen her with camera. She's our church hippie. I've never known anybody that loves Jesus and essential oils that much. Like she's the best. And she was in my office the other day and she was like, we were talking about something and she told me about how she used to wear this rubber band on her wrist. And I said, pull your hair up. She said, no. I wore a rubber band on my wrist because I knew there were thoughts that were coming into my head that were not from God. Here's what I want you guys to understand. You cannot control your thoughts, but you can control not letting your thoughts control you. And she said, these thoughts would pop in my head and I'm working on bettering myself. I'm working on lining myself up with the truth of the word of God. I'm working on being the person God called me to be. So I put a rubber band around my wrist. And every time a thought would pop up, I would go, snap out of it. Snap out of it. You're stupid. Look at how you failed. Snap out of it. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your kids, they hate you. Snap out of it. No, I'm going to speak truth to them and God's going to complete what he started in their life. Snap. I can't tell you. And we could go through all the thoughts in the world. Every single one of us has to fight those thoughts. We can't just have good intentions to do what's right, to love mercy and to walk humbly. It starts with our heart. It starts with changing who we are on the inside. You can fake it till you make it for so long, but every single one of us knows when the pressure's on, what's on the inside comes out. I I have, my goal was to put a rubber band in every seat this morning, but I thought about that because there's enough of you in here that are like me. Jake and Pastor Jason, and they would have been shooting these at me. And I was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not about to go to war. So on the, on the exits on the way out of here, there are these black buckets full of rubber bands. Take one. If you have a latex allergy, don't take one. <laughs> you were warned there. Now you can't do anything about that. There you go. All right. Put it on your wrist. And as you're walking out of here and as you're walking into life and as the enemy, listen to me, who's waiting for you out there, waiting to tell you everything that you're not and everything that God is not, everything that God's not going to do for you, you snap out of it. You snap out of it. No, that is not truth. I am going to walk in truth. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to not just do mercy. I'm going to love mercy. I'm going to be passionately pursuing that. And then I'm going to walk with God through this process, knowing that I haven't arrived, but when I arrive, he will be right beside me. He's got me. Listen, for those of you who have some situations with your family where you're not talking, there's horrible communication, your kids aren't walking with the Lord, your parents are angry, whatever the situation, I want you to hear me on this. God's not called you to fix it. He's called you to do what's right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's amazing the change that will happen in the relationships around you, work, family, friendship, when you do those three things. But I'm carrying all this and you don't understand how heavy it is. The Bible says to cast that mess on the Lord. 
because he cares for you. You throw that stuff at the foot of the cross and say, here it is, God. I'm going to snap out of it. I'm going to let you do what you do so that I can be who you called me to be. And at the end of it all, you're going to be glorified. Bow your heads with me all across this place. We do this every week and I think it's important. I'm going to do it again. I think the most important thing first and foremost in our life is that if we do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, we stop and we make that happen. The Bible says if you believe with your mouth and you, if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, he will save you from your sins. The reason we do this, the reason we pray with you for this is because number one, we don't want the enemy to make you think, ah, you did that privately. Nobody in the world knows. We all know. Number two, that you're not by yourself. There's a congregation full of people here who love Jesus and who will have your back. You're not meant to do this alone. And number three, there's something powerful about taking a physical step out of a place where we feel like we're stuck. So if you're in here right now and you can say, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. Not I did something wrong and I need to repent. Let's do that too. But you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. I'm gonna ask that you raise your hand right now. I wanna pray with you if there's anybody in here. We got one right back here. We wanna put a Bible in your hand. If you can keep your hands up, one right over here. Keep your hand up so we can put that Bible in your hand, sweetie. Awesome. Anybody else? If you raised your hand, can you come up here with me? Don't worry about anybody else. They're excited for you. I would love to pray with you. Please come up here. Don't let the enemy keep you stuck in that spot. Come up here, sis. Awesome. If you raised your hand, come on up. Like, this is like, this is the opposite of the walk of shame. This is the walk of freedom. This is the walk that I'm not going to carry this mess anymore. I'm going to get to be who God called me to be. Hi. What's your name? Patsy. Patsy. What's your name? Cat. Cat? Yeah. Awesome. We got somebody else coming up here. Okay. Y'all give him another hand. This is so awesome. What's your name, sir? Christian. What a perfect name. What a perfect name. Here's what I want y'all to understand. We're going to pray together. This is not here. Stand right here. Don't worry about these people behind you. Don't worry about them. They're excited for you. This is not some magical prayer that when you walk out of here, there's going to be unicorns and butterflies waiting at your car. But you're going to walk out of here with a confidence that the creator of the universe carries you. He's behind you. He's with you. And baby, he's way in front of you. He's got you. And everything up to this point won't define you anymore. You're defined by the goodness of the creator of the universe. So like I said, it's not a magical prayer, but it's about to change our lives, okay? Let's do this together. Can we all pray together? Bow your heads. Y'all repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to die on the cross for my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect but I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. Renew my mind. Fill me with love. 
and hold my hand, Jesus. Give me a passion for your word. Surround me with people who love you. And help me to get connected in a place that will help me grow. I love you, Jesus. I give my life to you. In your precious name. Amen. Hey, welcome to the family of God. We're so, that's awesome. Now, I will tell you this. The best is yet to come. Life starts living now. He's going to rock your world. And whatever the enemy wants to whisper about yesterday, get your rubber band snap out of it. That's not who you are anymore, okay? Y'all walk right over here. These beautiful people want to talk to y'all. Thank you so much. Will y'all stand with me? Let's pray. Here's the cool part. You got stuff you need to resolve with God? Resolve it. God, forgive me. Tell, and don't just say forgive me. Tell him what you did. Own it. If you need to go to somebody who you've offended or has offended you, do it. Do what's right. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. He's got a plan for you. He's not forgotten you. And if you'll let him, he will rock your world. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're good, you're faithful, and you're present. Lord, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice, those watching online, God, that they will walk in the authority that you have given us to walk in. Lord, I pray that they are overwhelmed by your love that they, they are so in tune by your spirit, Lord, and that, that they are just full of who you are. God, I pray that you move mightily in every single life here, that you show up and you show out and you continue to do and be the God that we know you are. Forgive us for failing. Thank you for not giving up on us. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. We've got prayer partners up here that want to pray with you. Go. And make a difference. Grab you one of these rubber bands and snap out of it.